Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The crown of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is solely and rightfully come to the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George. God save the King! The long life and reign of Queen Elizabeth II has meant we haven't seen a coronation, the formal investiture of a monarch with their legal powers in 70 years. Into the forecourt of the palace and through the gates comes the gilded coach, two centuries old, bearing the young queen to her crown. Eight Windsor Greys in gold and crimson harness draw her. As King Charles III is crowned, he reigns over a very different kingdom. They're one of the most famous, wealthy and controversial families in the world. And in a time of growing inequality, some people are asking, why does Britain still have a royal family? Here in Northern Ireland, outward expressions of loyalty to the crown are everywhere. But even in what has been described as loyal Ulster, changes are afoot. Michelle O'Neill, why have you decided to attend the coronation of King Charles? There are those in our community that have a British identity and allegiance to the monarchy, and I think it's important that I, as a First Minister for All, can be respectful of their viewpoint and also I can represent all the people in our community. The latest Belfast Telegraph Lucid Talk polling shows that just 42% of people here support the monarchy. 50% say they either oppose it or are so disconnected from it that they see a question about it as irrelevant. Here to discuss what that might mean, we have in the studio Bill White from Lucid Talk and the commentator Alex Keane. So, Alex and Bill, once again, you're very welcome to the Bell Tell. Thank you. Good morning. Having discussions with people uh, about this question on support for the, the monarchy here in Northern Ireland... The reaction I found has been quite different. For some people, that's a huge story and that's a huge headline. And for others, it's not a story at all. It's just obvious because that 42% and the percentage of people who are Protestant, Unionist, Loyalist does appear to be exactly the same. What are your impressions of 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 that, starting with yourself, Bill, uh, about that about the question. I mean, maybe maybe it'd be a good place to start. On how was the question asked? The question was: uh, Coronation of King Charles will take place on the sixth of May, and uh, do you support the UK monarchy? Simple as that. Good poll questions are always straight, direct, 
uh, and uh, I think that that fits into that mold. So as you've already just covered the uh, results, forty two percent said yes, they do support it, and the others fifty percent uh, felt no, or else they felt no connection with the monarchy uh, whatsoever. Was that was one of the options? I feel no connection to the UK monarchy, so this question is irrelevant to me. Um, we thought that was a relevant option to to offer the respondents. So forty two percent overall of Northern Ireland support the monarchy. Um, which obviously is not a majority. Um, yes, it does, for your point, uh, moving on to your question, yes, if you look at the breakdown of the communities, uh, the vast majority of that is um, from the unionist community. Uh, 88% of the unionist uh, voter base uh, support the monarchy. 5% don't, 2% or don't know, or 5 7% or don't know, or not sure, or feel no connection. Uh, the uh, nationalist community is the other way, as you would expect. 65% don't support the monarchy, only 2% support it. And a large number, 28%, feel no connections with the field. The question is irrelevant to them. So we're back again to a lot of uh, where the figures balance out is in the other non-allocated group, if you like, the Alliance Green Others voters. And we see there that 17% of that group support the monarchy, but 38% don't which is, um, I thought, quite interesting in that, uh, you know, proportionally more, noticeably more uh, voters within that voter base, the Alliance Green Others voter base, don't support the monarchy. 32% feel no connection to the monarchy. So you've got their 70% either don't support the monarchy or have feel they have no connection to the monarchy within the Alliance Green Other voter base. That's apart from the Unionists and apart from the Nationalists. So that's where the figures break down and you end up with an overall score when you average all that out of 42% who support the monarchy and... Um, 50% don't and 8% um, are don't know, not sure. For me, that th- that part of the question with um, Alliance and Green Voters, as you've just said, um, and the wider conversation with just 17% of those people pro-monarchy, I, I was surprised that that was very, that it was so low there. Are you... Yes, I, I agree. It's uh, certainly it was a surprise. I mean, obviously, we're, we're posters. We follow good, rigorous uh, procedures. We get the data in and we look at the results. But at that stage, we are just like the ordinary punters looking at the results. Some of the results that come out of our systems do surprise me on a personal level. And yes, I find that surprising. I thought the support for the monarchy within that, the neutral alliance, Green Others voter base, which is, you know, 15, 20% now of the Northern Ireland uh, population, uh, was, was low. Um, it has to be said and um, there is a large number uh, there was a number opposing it there was a large or equally large number felt no connection to the monarchy which is a sort of a neutral answer they're ambivalent about it if it goes away fair enough if it stays fair enough they, they, they feel no connection to it so they answered that way in a neutral way so um, but yes the overall support those who actively said like the UK monarchy is, is quite low within that voter base yes what did you take from these results, Alex? Well, I, I suppose I wasn't entirely surprised, particularly in Northern Ireland, because the, the support levels do seem to reflect the, the, the general, if you like, political electoral demographics. You're mm-hmm. looking at that 42%, which is, embraces most of unionism, I think, huge figures in 1980, uh, been the sort of mid-figures, I think, for, for DUP, TUV, and so on. Um, and also, I think it reflects societal changes. If you look, I mean, this is not unique to Northern Ireland. I mean, if you look, I think a BBC poll quite recently said that... Uh, 
a minority of people had uh, there'd certainly been a big drop in support for the monarchy. So I think that the, that sense of deference is gone. That sense of um, of you know well we we must be you know the the monarchy we we have to bet we have to be you know you know supportive of it and so on swear allegiance. Even the fact that Charles's team are saying that you can do this on like some reality TV show at some point in the middle of the service. You know everybody who's watching can stand up and go yay for the monarchy uh, and so on. But I think it also reflects something else, Kieran. Um, I think it's that sense of um, when the Queen died, for my generation in particular, you know, I, I, I've known no other monarch, you know, and I'm, I, I'm not a monarchist. In, in, I mean, I, I just as happily live in the United States of Great Britain and Northern Ireland as the United Kingdom of, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But I think there's a sense of people reflected on her legacy. People reflected on the, the, the longevity. People reflect on the changes that they'd seen from the 1950s right the way through. There isn't that same sense of emotional attachment to Charles at the minute. You have the problem with Andrew, you have the problem with Harry, you have the problem. This is a family. I mean, somebody says it, it is, in fact, like well, watching one of these soap operas on television. It's big, it's spectacular, it's now spanning the world and so on. So people are rethinking the monarchy. And I think the, the most interesting question about that is not whether you support or don't support the monarchy in one sense, is does the monarchy actually matter to you in, in your everyday life? I mean, how many people are going, well, thank goodness we have a monarchy. Thank goodness for this. Thank goodness for that. And I know some people will say, well, you look at Donald Trump, you know, be grateful we don't have a you know, presidential system like that. But that still doesn't answer the question of what does the monarchy actually do for you? And one other thing, just while it's on my mind, you know, because I, you know, it's, it's all these little trifles that always interest me in polls. If the, the, the support... Of, of, for the alliance and some of the smaller parties for the monarchy that, that being that low did surprise me. I also wonder, a lot of people who look at you know, 10, 15 years at a border poll they say, assume that there's a, an almost an inbuilt block of alliance voters who will vote for the United Kingdom. But if these people don't support the monarchy, if they don't support the, the underpinning of the, you know, the, the constitutional basis of the, of the United Kingdom, can we assume that if that is their view on the monarchy, if that is their, their view on the key institution of the United Kingdom, can it be assumed that they would have any difficulty you know, when it came to a presidential system in the South? That's not an issue for them. And that, that may seem a trivial question. But I think it's one of those things, why do people vote for certain things? So I just, I'd be interested to see what happens over the next few years when the unions in particular and Sinn Féin and those who want a united Ireland look at this and say, well, how do we pitch to Alliance now? How do we pitch to those other people who want, you know, openly uh, one thing or the other? How do we reach them? And I just wonder, looking at that, that poll and how their support for the monarchy and that part of the institution, whether that might change how unionism and nationalism approach the others. Uh, and that doesn't mean that they will take a sensible approach either. I suppose for some unionists and for some very strong unionists and royalists who are looking across at, at statistics like this might look at the Alliance Party and say, I told you so. Well, that, that, that is why I raised the issue because I think there is that sense it'll just confirm, you know, people who say, well, it, it, you know, it, it's just a, a soft nationalist party and here's the proof of it. You shouldn't because you don't have to mean, I, I'm not a monarchist. But I support the United Kingdom and the border poll will vote to remain in the United Kingdom. She can't make assumptions just on the basis of people who say, oh, we like that. Because I think there are some people in that who surprise some of the SDLP. There's a percentage there who support yes, yeah. the monarchy. They're not going to vote for for to remain in the United Kingdom on that basis. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, there's, there were, there, I mean, there are always people of a nationalist background who have done very well. I suppose, to use the expression out of Northern Ireland. But I was very interested in in the change of era and the epoch of what we were talking about because we were talking about the United Kingdom, but the very name of the state implies monarchy. And I just wonder how much of the identity and the political reality is tied up with the monarchy. 
whenever people across Europe think of the United Kingdom and think of Britain, they think of the the royal family. They think of um, these these institutions, and I just wonder, in terms of Prince Charles and the difference, how how will that affect life in general, perceptions, politics? Yes, that's true. Um, the uh, obviously with the coronation coming up. Uh, this you will get a natural support for the monarchy. It, it happens with any event in 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 life. In terms of even with political parties, you have a political party conference, and you normally get a boost in the support for that party because they've seen a lot of publicity about the party on TV. So you will see in polls over the coming probably months or even the year to eighteen months good support for the monarchy within the UK. Particularly, I'm sure as Prince Charles or King Charles, I keep saying Prince Charles, King Charles will be. Um, Doing, be, be very active, he'll be doing a lot of functions. I'm sure he'll work very hard in the first year after his coronation. So, um, because he's he's obviously got good PR people around him and he's probably, in all his years of experience, knows exactly how to, you know, win favour with the public. So you will see a lot of support for the monarch with the first year, 18 months. The critical period will come, I would suggest, two, three, four years down the line, depending how the country is going, depending on how Brexit has eventually worked out. Is the economy falling behind the economy? in the European Union. Nothing technically to do with the monarchy, but it creates a whole atmosphere within the country. And that depends, and then we'll see the real polling of whether the support for the monarchy is declining at that stage or stagnant or whatever. So that will be the telling period uh, because you will have a, you know, there's going to be a reasonable honeymoon period after this coronation, I would suggest of up to up to a year. You were mentioning the figures there on the, on the party support. Um, yes, it's all fallen down in terms of what you would expect. 10% of the SDLP voter base do support the monarchy, um, which I would suggest is reasonable and a positive thing for the monarchy. 10% is one in, well, one in 10, obviously. <laughs> so it's a reasonable, yes, that's a, a, a good well deduction. Done, well, well done, yes, <laughs> yeah. indeed. And uh, But, it's you know, that's a reasonable number. 55% don't support the monarchy and 25%, this is of the SDLP voter base, uh, 25% say they feel no connection to the monarchy. The Alliance voter base, this is the pure alliance voter base, it's 20% yes for the monarchy, 32% no, and 31% feel no connection to the UK monarchy. So that fits in with the overall voting block figures that I gave earlier on, um, you know, and it gives you a good feel for the other ones, TUV, as you expect, overwhelmingly, uh, 93% yes, the UUP voter base, 84% yes, and the Ulster Unionist Party voter base, 7% no, 2% feel no connection with the monarchy. So nearly one in 10 of that base, um, you know, are either don't support the monarchy or feel no connection with it, which is, you know, that's that's, that's noteworthy. If we actually look, sorry to jump around here a little bit, but if we actually look at the age breakdown, and you can fit this in with the party groups as well, as expected, the monarchy does need to look at gaining support and building up its support within the younger age groups. Um, the younger age groups, the thirty-five uh, percent yes to the monarchy in the eighteen to twenty-four years age group, and it's fifty-two percent yes, for example, in the fifty-five to sixty-four years age group falls away slightly in the sixty-five plus age group, but it's still pretty high. And the other groups are, you know, forty-one percent, forty-five to fifty-four years age group. So it's all over forty, but the eighteen to twenty. 24 years age group is only, in quotes, 35% yes to the monarchy and 44% no to the monarchy. So a lot of the no has been driven from the younger age groups who maybe don't feel as much a connection 
to the monarchy as the older age groups because, well, they haven't lived with it <laughs> for that long period of time. Sorry, sorry, Alex. No, I was just going to say in terms of uh, touching what Bill said about the honeymoon, and I think he's right because I think there are two huge challenges for the for the monarchy. One is the survival of the monarchy itself as, as a serious ongoing um, institution in the United Kingdom. But it only really survives if the United Kingdom itself survives. And I'm just wondering in that honeymoon period, and I think you're right, we're, we're looking at three or four years, in that, and backed up by William and Kate, who seem to be very popular, you know, maybe beyond what might presently be for Charles and the monarchy itself, that if, if, if the monarchy and Charles can find a way, a role in some way of actually being seen as the, the basis of stability, for not just in the United Kingdom, but for the United Kingdom after they, they're getting on for eight years now of, of the Brexit and all that instability. And the instability that went before it, the challenges in Northern Ireland, Scotland, in terms of wanting independence or forming a United Ireland and so on. So if Charles can become a unifying force in that as well and say, look, whatever else is going on here and there, here is a central basis of stability, something that brings us together and use his role in all of this and, and, and bring in William and Kate obviously as well as you know th- these are thousand year old values, we have changed we have survived, we, we are it's like a template if you like for the United Kingdom itself, yes we have difficulties, yes there are a lot of people have concerns about what we've done and how we're doing our business but together together we can evolve, together we can come together and maybe save one of the great institutions of, of European and world history but also save one of the great nations as they would say it, of European and world history if they can use that role in that honeymoon my concern is that while they may have a honeymoon in one sense I think in Scotland and Northern Ireland and in, in, in some working class politics in particular there is a, a, a almost an enmity towards the monarchy they say it as something which is holding them back not advancing them that's going to be a great challenge Just one of the things that occurs to me is we're talking about Prince or King Charles my apologies <laughs> we're talking about the sovereign King Charles we're talking about the House of Windsor, the royal family. We're talking about monarchy and we're talking about this monarchy. And I wonder sometimes, you know, are they all the same thing? For example, there remain as of this year 12 sovereign monarchies in Europe and seven of them are kingdoms. But having travelled around Europe, I can tell you that they really, if, if you said to absolutely anyone in Europe, the royal family, I think many minds would jump immediately to the British royal family. So I know people sometimes in Ireland say, oh, you know, you're talking about the royal family. Are you talking about the, the royal family in, in, in the Netherlands? Well, name them. Mm-hmm. You can't. So uh, maybe maybe this, maybe the European sort of slimmed down model of the monarchy, would, would, would that be somewhere where the royal family could go and take it? Or... But that's simply not work. Is it? Does it have to remain big? Well, I, th- I think uh, King Charles um, uh, is have off the view um, of, of of slimming down the monarchy. I think he sees it as himself, uh, the Queen Consort Camilla, and you know Kate and um, William. He sees that as the core of the monarchy, and um, he I think he wants to project that image. I think that's been certainly that's the coverage and uh, the analysis that I've been seeing. So I think he wants to move towards that sort of continental sort of model. Maybe not as much as as far as they have gone in terms of going out and cycling and whatever those monarchs do, uh, which apparently they do. But um, he certainly wants to see it slim down. He knows he's in a political situation, a very changing world, and he's got a lot of experience in that area. So, And he will have advisors around him, and he knows, obviously, that he's got to be extremely careful over the next 
year to two years, um, you know, just how, how the monarchy beds in after after the coronation. Um, he, he will be aware that he's going to have a honeymoon period and he's, he will be aware that after that period, um, you know, he's, they've got to be careful in terms of the policies and how they present themselves and how they um, interact with society. So, um, because no one can see the changing, we live in a very changing world and obviously the monarchy's got to adopt, adapt to that. Well, I was going to say, in, in terms of the slimming down the monarchy, it's it's actually much more complex than that. I, I can see where he's coming from, although his interest in the Princess Anne, I think, yesterday uh, was very much against it. Um, uh, just saw a headline saying Anne uh, uh, against the slimming down of the monarchy. Because the relationship between our monarchy and other European monarchies is very specifically linked to the Parliament. We used to talk about the Queen in Parliament, mm-hmm. the King in Parliament, Royal Assent, the State Opening of Parliament. The, 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 the views of the monarch are still such. She meets, they are, he meets the, the Prime Minister on a weekly basis. They discuss things in Privy Councils. There's so much interconnection there. I mean, what, what the monarch thinks is important to Prime Ministers and vice versa. So if you were to say the monarchy sl- uh, slimmed down to the extent that the relationship between it and Parliament is changing, then you will get the if you the, you I know this is the term offence on people the Cromwellian logic comes in. People will say, well, the last time we didn't have a monarchy, look what happened to Parliament. We ended up with a dictatorship. We ended up with a situation where someone like Cromwell became in effect king, uh, if you like, a non-monarchical monarchical king. And so, so there will be so that the, the idea is slimming down. It's not something that could happen overnight. It would be a long drawn out process because the Lords, the Commons. They're all linked to to the monarchy, so somehow you have, to, and that change that that then gets in. If you can change that part of the constitution, if you can change that part of the relationship between the monarchy and the parliament, then you start looking at other ways of changing. What about Scotland? What about Northern Ireland? Because once you say it's no longer the king in parliament, there's no longer a royal assent. Then, oddly enough, you push. It's almost like you it's a, you devolve those powers of monarchy to Parliament, who in turn devolved them down. So this notion to slim it down, yeah. People think when you say slim down the monarchy, you mean we don't need all, what was it they always called, the heirs and spares? We don't need that many of them. We don't need all these, you know, princesses and princes floating around. But I mean, I find it extraordinary that Harry and Meghan say they've opted out, but their children have titles and so on. Now, slimming down means they're not there. They're not just put in the cupboard or forgotten about. They're not there at all. And I certainly, maybe you need a couple of immediate heirs and so on. But there's a whole phalanx of people, you know, hangers on and so on, who are not needed. That is one form of slimming down. But the biggest form of slimming down, the most important, you know, emotionally, politically, constitutionally, is this thing. If anyone is talking about removing the king in parliament, removing royal assent, you're in a totally different territory. Michelle O'Neill and Alex Maskey are going... Uh, I thought you said they could, could they could be king and queen or something. <laughs> a new form of slimming down the monarchy. Well, I'm sure. Uh, well, I'm I, I mean, uh, they, they would both say that uh, they're opposed to monarchy, but uh, of course, as Republicans, um, I am sure that uh, their faces during the oath of allegiance is is somewhere where many cameras will focus. It'll, you know, uh, they've decided to do this to go. Uh, Michelle O'Neill says because she wants to represent all. Um, some people, we've, we've had different opinions in the paper this week from different people, you know, that they might suffer from this electorally. Certainly they'll be mocked and they'll, will, they'll be all of that sort of carry on. Did she have any choice, really? Uh, no, no, I don't think she did. I think, I think in her position as First Minister-designate um, and the, 
image that she's been projecting and Sinn Féin have been projecting of that that one line, the strap line, you know, a leader for all or we're for all the people. I think it's on the posters of the uh, for the local elections coming up um, uh, in, in, in the posters that she has got up. She is the leader, but she's certainly projecting her in this local government election as the leader of the team of local government candidates, much more than you see other parties doing. They're letting the local candidates take the, take the front. So she is taking a prominent role in this upcoming local government election. And there is a strapline, a leader for all. So I think in that context, um, they nearly had to go. They, they had no choice mm. because there would be a criticism back. Well, why are you using a strapline, a leader for all? And you're not even acknowledging the, you know, the pro-union community and the large number of, or relatively large number of Northern Ireland people um, who support the monarchy and would like to see some representation and presence there. So I don't think she had any... Uh, particular choice in that. It will be interesting. I don't know how the cameras will work, yes, but it will be interesting in terms of that oath, um, which on a personal basis, um, I'm, I know you've just brought it up and I don't want to go off and I'm sure you want to maybe cover that separately, but this oath and asking people even voluntarily to express the oath you know, in their own homes, in their own environments where they're watching the coronation, I, I'm a little bit uneasy with. I don't know what other people feel. I've got a feeling um, that if we polled in that particular issue, you may get a number of the people who are pro-monarchy saying that they're not particularly comf- comfortable with that sort of approach because it does look a little bit old-fashioned. It's not a it's not a type of thing you would see in terms of what should be a modern monarchy. Uh, but I know that's not the question you asked, but I just thought I would... <laughs> Well, I mean, it's all, it's all part of the mechanism of what people have been mm-hmm. talking about in, in recent weeks. So some people have been saying, uh, never laugh at North Korea again, you know. Uh, but, but I think that's that's some of the framing around it. Uh, mm-hmm. as, I mean, that's been clarified, you know, they said, that's not what we mean, you know. It's... Uh, I, we have been discussing that. Will we see people stopping on the street and, you know, and I, no. I, no, no, I think that's unlikely. In terms of in terms of, of, of um, Michelle O'Neill and Alex Maskey going, Bill's right, I don't think there was any choice, particularly after the shots of them, you know, with, with, with Charles at Hillsborough Castle I mean, a couple of months ago, where they seemed terribly relaxed, they were joking with each other, having a great time. It would have seemed very odd to say we're not going to the, you know, coronation. But the other thing is, you know, Bill mentioned this thing about the oath of allegiance is difficult for some people. I remember, isn't it, Dennis Skinner, you know, was asked when he, who was a Republican and we talked about he had to take the, when you're MP, you take the oath of allegiance. He said, oh, well, I always did it with my fingers crossed behind my back and I wasn't the only one. And I, I've met members of parliament who are very well-known household name members of parliament who are not monarchists. They will never make a public issue of it, but the monarchy was to disappear. They wouldn't care less. So this sense that the only people at this coronation are going to be people who are diehard, you know, mon- you know monarchists, and so, that isn't the case. There will be a lot of people there who will fall into Bill's category. You know, well, I'm not sure the monarchy really is all that particularly relevant to me. And if it was to disappear, I'm not sure if I would care all that much. But they go partly because it's spectacular, partly because of the history, partly because they've been invited for some reason, for some service they may have done, which they've been re- rewarded by the monarchy without even having any particular connection in the organisation. They've, they've, they've played a part in the... They are all part, and that one, that, that few hours next Saturday, they are all part of the same concept of a united kingdom. But uh, so, and I think that makes it much, much easier for Sinn Féin, you know, to sit in, in an assembly in one case. I don't think they'll ever go as far as, you know, taking their seats in Westminster. But I mean, if somebody had said to you even a decade ago that, you know, even with Martin McGuinness shaking hands with the Queen, that the next leader of Sinn Féin 
would be at a coronation. I think even some of the most liberal wings of Sinn Féin say, that's a step too far, Alex. They have changed dramatically. And that's important. And maybe, do you know something, it's one of those strange things. It's probably when we talk about unifying and accepting all the different and disparate strands of what makes up the United Kingdom, the fact that I think the SNP will be represented, the Welsh Nationalists are going to be represented, nationalism from Northern Ireland is going to be represented, the Irish language is going to be used during part of the service. It's oddly enough and ironically enough, and unionism should actually probably take some, you know, consolation from this. All of those competing contradictory factions will be in the one place at the one time with the same purpose. Alex Cain, Bill White, thank you very much for joining us. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from the Royal Family Channel, the BBC and Sky. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.